I think, or have we? Yes. Yes, now we're going. Okay, so welcome again to our um, July Wireside Chat. I'm joined by my uh, erstwhile co-host, Melissa Hart, and by our special guest, Marissa Cleveland. Um, and many of you probably know both Melissa and Marissa. Um, Marissa is, I asked Marissa to come and talk to us today about her career, all the different incredible hats that she wears and juggles with grace, and um, also answer our questions that we might have about um, about the age agenting business and not just what agents do, but you know, in in um, in uh, in our program, we talk a lot about what careers all writers might want to to um, consider in order to to give them a stable income while they're while they're um, pursuing their writing. One of the jobs that we don't talk about um, specifically, I think, is is that of a literary agent. And I know that a lot of writers pursue literary agent careers, but I also know that it's difficult to kind of be a writer and a literary agent at the same time. So um, those are among the many things that we will discuss uh, today. So let me just welcome uh, Marissa. And Marissa, tell us, tell us about yourself, those who, who might not know you yet. Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> I think I would have expected that. So I'm Marissa. <laughs> I joined the Seymour Agency in 2009, and I am a firm believer in those who do should also teach. So from very early on, as soon as I got my agent and um, she, I still believe she sold a kidney to land me this three book deal so that I could get um, pan in what used to be the RWA's um, published author thing. And I just started mentoring people and doing workshops and showing up places with other writers who wanted to know like inside stuff. And because I'm very transparent, I'm just like, blah, 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 blah. Everyone's like, oh, tell me this. And I'm just like, okay. And so, um, so I've just always believed that you should be teaching. Unfortunately, like I can't teach all the time because of time constraints and when publishing gets busier or, you know, I always put my clients first. So when we've got a lot of deals and everything, stuff kind of has to take a back burner for, for teaching, but I am a firm believer that those who do should also teach. So since I was a writer, I was teaching writing. Once I became an agent, I started mentoring along other agents. And then um, when Snooze Online MFA program came about, I was like, oh, this looks cool. And then you all wanted me, so here I am. <laughs> well, you're, you're a perfect fit because with you, we get like three separate instructors rolled into one <laughs> because you have such a wide ranging experience. Um, so let me let me ask you a little bit. Why don't you start out and tell us a little bit about your uh, career as a writer? OK, so. Th that was a very slow, long. I I'm going to disclaimer this with um, everyone should do as I say, not as I do. So <laughs> this is a very slow, long thing. I grew up reading like Harlequin novels. Absolutely love them ended up getting an R&R at the same time that I ended up also getting an actual offer with an advance for a three book deal. So Tell, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but but some of our listeners might not know what an R&R is. Uh, it's when an editor gives you a revise and resubmit. So they're like, hey, we love your voice. We love what you're doing here, but it's not something that we feel is commercial. Can you redo this, this, this and this? And oh, by the way, you know, take out the dog. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
sitting and, and I sat down with my agent and well, even before that I had been, I queried, I can't remember how many, I have the list somewhere, but it was like way back, you know, when, when everything was still paper and stamps and you mail it out. And um, so I signed with Mary Sue at the Seymour agency. She was like, I just really love your message, your voice, your philosophy. And that's when I first understood that like, it's more than just the book because I was getting these letters back from agents saying like, oh, you have really great writing style. It's clear you know how to you know tell a story, blah, blah, blah. But it just, something wasn't connecting there. And um, later uh, when I was on the conference circuit, I got to meet one of these agents who is actually no longer an agent and also an editor who's no longer an editor. And they both said to me that they had a concern that I might not write relatable characters because I wasn't um, the, default stereotypical writer that they had at the time. And along those lines, something was interesting. I went to a workshop and Nora Roberts, when she was starting out said, yeah, I was trying to get into Harlequin and they said they already had their one American writer. So it, it's back where things uh -huh. kind of fall into a line where we had this type of writer, this type of writer, this type of writer. And so that's where I was when I entered the publishing industry. So when I get the actual offer versus the r, &R my agent was like, well, you could have a three book deal now and we can start you off and get your career out. And this is where I say do as I say, not as I do, because I got so involved in like a bunch of other stuff that was really interesting that I missed a deadline. And then, you know, so my books did not come out as intended, which were back-to-back -back releases with this whole series put together. They they took like years because, because I just was not looking necessarily at the career writer. Um, as you can tell, because I agent now and I had more fun working with our current clients and doing like branding and website and like the social media stuff was just coming out. So um, I read much more than I write. So I did like a lot of behind the scenes um, before I actually started signing clients. So that was my writing career. <laughs> I still do right, write. But I, I mean, I have a book coming out it, in fall and but it takes like a, forever for me to get to get a book idea and then actually write a complete book. So tell us about the book that's coming out in the fall. Uh, that's my first nonfiction book, actually. It's not a genre one. Um, so I stepped away from romance. I co-wrote it with my husband. It's on leadership and about being like the CEO of your own life and just basically, Very cool. you know, so, but I mean, again, like there was like maybe two years or three years and we we're like, let's put this proposal together. And my agent was like, hey, where is it? Hey, where is it? And then you know, finally we're like, all right, let's just do it. We, we've been saying we're going to do it for a long enough time. Um, so yeah, for career writers, you definitely want to be able to follow like, you know, a schedule and deadlines. And when you get those contracts, you don't want to alienate your publishing team by, by missing deadlines, which we didn't do this time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm glad to hear that. I mean, but you know, it's, it's, it's easier said than done. I, I you know, my first book uh, came out and I, mine was a two book deal. And I mean, it, they weren't it wasn't a you know, the second book wasn't a sequel of the first novel, but it was still they had the, the option on it and they bought they bought it on the basis of a of a pitch and an outline. And and then I had to deliver by a certain date and I could not do it. Uh, you know, I had the, like the second book curse um, and I, I wound up writing an entire novel and throwing it away and starting from scratch. And it was just a nightmare. I went through like three different editors at that um at that publishing house uh harper collins because my my late book outlasted their entire editorial careers um oh it's 
Yeah, it's but it's it's hard, you know. I mean, like um, sometimes I don't know. I mean, what what do you do to inspire yourself when you're when you're you feel like something is getting in the way? It's not quite writer's block, but it's more more like the knowledge that you have to produce something by a certain date. Yeah, actually, that's a really great segue into um, the agenting side. <laughs> I just want to really quick say this. So when I get a query from somebody and they're like, oh, this is the book of my heart. It took me 11 years to write. I, I'm so glad you're accepting upmarket fiction right now. And, you know, I get on a Zoom and I'm like, so it took you this long to write. You told me it, you wanted it to be a series. How long is it going to take you to write book two? And and they're always like, yeah. oh, oh, um, and I'm like, because you'll have about six months once we put it out. If we get offers and they want to see, you know, proposals and everything. So. So it's really interesting when somebody's like, oh, it took me like three years. I, I'm just I'm very aware of that now, which I wasn't before, because you have all the time in the world to polish that first book. Yes. And then it's like, when you're asked to do the second book, you're like, oh, suddenly I'm on deadline. I actually have to meet word count. Um, it has to be quality work. It can't I can't take, you know, three to five years to polish it anymore. So, yeah. <laughs> so what's the secret? How do you how do you reach that point? Um. For us now, this last book with my husband, he is a project manager. So he put me on this like project management chart, Gantt <laughs> schedule where we had like deadlines where like these three chapters had to be done by this time. This time was when we were revising these chapters while we were writing these ones. I mean, it was a really cool process. It was my first, um, it was the first time that he actually set a book schedule with a deadline that we finished early. And <laughs> I was like, every writer should do this. Like. <laughs> I yeah, I, I would like to, to hire your husband if if he's available. I mean, I, I need that kind of help. <laughs> and we're putting together a thing actually for the agency to go out for um, project management for writers so that they can see how they can stack their series, their books, writing, because we have one author. Oh, my gosh, she's amazing. Julianne Walker. And I remember when her first series came out, she was like at revising book one from her editor while trying to finish book two edits from her critique group or something and then book three was due and so and then book one came out and it was like a back-to-back -back release and I was just like oh I was like in awe of her yeah well I mean Melissa you also are juggle a lot of different deadlines and projects in your career I mean what what do you do to to um to make that happen to to, to, um, to, to meet to keep all your deadlines yeah, okay, you two. I, I wasn't aware I was allowed to miss a deadline ever. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> I was such a goody two shoes straight A student. I don't think I've ever missed a deadline in my life. You're the dream I, author. Yeah. Just, Sign her I, up quick. I didn't know I could. You're the unicorn. <laughs> Why didn't anybody tell me? Yeah, well, they don't want to let that dirty little secret out. <laughs> I have, I had no idea. <laughs> but I, you know, I, I feel like it hurt me to not get my second book in on time and to miss yeah. all those deadlines. It, it hurt me. It hurt my career. Um, and I think even psychologically, it hurt me a little bit. It made it harder to recover my confidence as a writer. Um. Did you did you have that issue, Marissa? Um, no, but I think I think one of the reasons is because um, 
we I have a I had a really great rapport with our publisher and my agent at the time and we were all at a dinner and we were talking and they she just they just both did a really great job to make me feel like welcome and like I belonged and here I am and you know when I can get it whereas I think if I had gone with like a a different type of publisher that mm-hmm. I would have felt a little more under the gun a little more mm-hmm. like it needs to get done you didn't follow you know the synopsis and the marketing team already has this out and you know where where is this um yeah so yeah. i think i was very fortunate and i do have clients now that i they meet deadlines they come in early like something's due and like whatever they're like here it is like 10 days early and i'm like oh I love <laughs> you. um <laughs> but you know that, that but i totally understand kind of... what you're saying um i think if i was in a different environment if it wasn't you know the actual agent that i was with at the time if it wasn't i think a lot of things just happened that that they uh, it was very i still feel very welcome for you know they're like send us whatever you know you have it and i i, f- I feel like uh that that leads to a to another question because the the agent writer relationship is so important how, how do you know as a writer that you're in the right relationship with an agent when when do you know that you're not in the right relationship with an agent when do you need an agent divorce and and when do you do you know that you know your agent is somebody you, you want to stick with even through because a lot of times for example a writer will have, go to a bad patch they can't seem to sell anything they'll blame the agent when it's not really the agent's fault they'll think that a new agent will solve all their problems when that's not the case the problem is elsewhere so how how do you how do you how do you figure out wh- what to do and and where you know where where the where the problem is is it with you is it with your agent is this the right agent is it is it a bad a bad you know writer agent marriage i think that is such a hot topic right now too specifically um i think you don't know until you hit a crossroads like a point where the the author is struggling and i think the author just needs to know like how comfortable they are with reaching out to their agent and then how their agent responds. So I think it's basically, you know, how how the agent's going to communicate. That's one of the first things I always ask on Zoom is I'm always like, or a phone call or whatever, when we're first, you know, trying to see if we're gonna like make a good partnership is like, how do you prefer to communicate? You know, um, I do have some authors who are like, I never wanna use a video. I never wanna see your face. I never want you to see my face. <laughs> you know and it's like okay just text me you know like and so i think and i think a lot of times it's like if if authors are too like their personalities will show during the roughest moments and i think it's really just the agent's attitude like if that agent knows and is there for a specific reason if the ideologies match like why that person is agenting and why that person is an author and sometimes they clash like i have some authors who you know they wrote one book and they're totally okay with it and if it sells in the next 10 years they're going to be fine and i have others that are like you have one year to get this done and i'm moving on and but you if you talk about that beforehand that you know like with with my one client like oh they have a year i'm like well i'm gonna need two years because i'm a new agent i'm still building up you know you know communications i'm still doing outreach blah 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 and they're like okay like we talk about it through and then sometimes when you talk about it and you see like what their goals are you're like I am not the agent for you. You are going to be so unhappy with me. So I think it's knowing yourself as an agent. It's you. It's the author knowing themselves as the author. What do they want to get out of it? And it's being able to tell the agent so that the agent can kind of play back and forth and see if it's going to work out. And I know it's so hard as an author because 
I remember when I was querying the very first agent that ever showed interest. I'm like, I love you forever. And yeah. but I knew that that was <laughs> not going to work out that relationship because she had so many huge names on her list. And I yeah. always saw her being just so super busy with those huge. And I know how time consuming even just one contract can be. So I knew I was going to be kind of not pushed to the side, but she was fitting me in and I wasn't going to be that like her rock star right away get going. And I knew myself as an author, I wasn't that, I'm gonna pound out a thousand novels so you can sell one of them and you know. So I think you just have to know yourself as an author and the agent should know themselves as the agent. I I, I almost feel like at the outset of a a writer's career, I I don't think most writers do know themselves yet. Um, So in a way, when when they're reaching out to an agent, it's almost like the agent has a responsibility to sort of look out for the interests of that writer, you know, because like you said, with with you when you when a client a potential client comes along, you may you may decide, well, you know, what well, you're not the I'm not the right agent for you. You're not going to be happy with me. You need somebody else. That's a that's an understanding that the writer might not yet have because they don't have enough professional experience. Um, and so you, in a way, have to be kind of selfless as an agent and say like, yes, I could sell this writer's book and it might make a lot of money, but it might not be the right uh, career move long term for this writer. I mean, is that how you try to think, speaking in terms of like what your ideology as a as an agent is? Uh, for me personally, yes. And I in fact, I have um, I have this great example where this story came across my desk for this author. It was an awesome story. I was so super excited about it. But I also knew that this other agent that I had been that I'm, I had been I'm friends with had the connections that would be needed to get that author a larger, better deal. And yeah. so, you know, I was like, look, you can tell, you know, I'm gonna tell her that I'm gonna offer to rep you, but you know, you, there's always that window where they tell other agents that have their work anyway. And sometimes that just kind of gives a little more credence too. So if I really want to work with them, I'll tell them like, look, this is what you're getting if you work with me, but you know, this this agent also probably can get you what you need faster. And it's not right. to downplay my talents or my abilities or my confidence in myself, but it's just you can kind of see when you when you're working with authors, you know, how demanding are they going to be? How who who are they really involved in and who is their connection? Like who is around them in their circle? So I, I don't know if that came out exactly like what I meant it to come out with, but yes. <laughs> Even if something's yeah, I mean, great, if I know another agent is repping in that area and that they have the connections already, I'm definitely like, hey, check this out. Yeah. And I mean, uh, you know, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Melissa. Oh, I just I wanted to ask a question um, on behalf of our guest, Alexandria, who asks, do you have any advice for getting started as a literary agent? Um. There's a lot of internships. Yeah. Um, I know our agency has randomly offered them. I think that's a great way. Um, if you are agented, you can start talking to your agent about if they have it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would just say like looking up the internships and there's a lot of great resources online. I know Twitter can either be like super awesome or super terrible, but there's a lot of great ways to connect with other um, agents on there. and. Like our interns, when when we've had them, I think we had, we did a year 
And then I think we take a year off and I'm not sure when we're bringing up the next one or if it's gonna be a mentorship, but um, those always go out on Twitter. Um, there's a ton of agencies. Like if you have a dream agency, if you just go to their website, you can look and see. Um, but I think internships are probably the, the best way. What is what do you think? Let me go back to the to the question that we kind of mentioned at the outset of the of this um, event, which is, do you think that that agenting is a viable, I don't know, career path or or a supplementary career for for an active writer? Um, okay. uh, that's a it depends. So. Yeah, that's definitely it depends. Some of my favorite favorite authors are also agents so i would say yes but there is that balance i've watched a lot of authors leave writing so that they could agent more but i've also seen a lot of agents who started to agent and then they had to go take like an editorial job or focus more on their books because you know you don't really make money as an agent until you start selling your clients. So if your clients aren't making money, you're not making, and even then you're not making a lot of money. Like I knew going into it as an agent that, you know, I wasn't doing it for, for the money. I was doing it ideologically to find books that I wanted to represent. Mm -hmm. so, Do you feel that most agents are, are like that? Um, I think a lot of agents, who I will so I have a lot of people that reach out to me on Twitter and they ask me what it's like to be an agent and how they can get started and everything like that and then I watch them become agents and I think a lot of them when they circle back are like this is nothing like I thought it was going to be because mm -hmm. um, there's so much more than just reading queries and signing people it's it's everything on the back end that takes up a lot of a lot of time that they may or may not have considered before starting but I mean I I think if you love to read more than you love to write then, and you're organized, then agenting is definitely, a, I mean, I have the best job in the world. I love it. I can do it from anywhere. I, every time I'm feeling, you know, like, well, what's going on? I just pop open my, and I'm like, oh, who sent me a manuscript I can read? And, you know, it's, it's the greatest feeling in the world. But I do think that there's a financial aspect to it that a lot of people need to understand before they jump into it. Whereas, like, as a writer, you know, like, we sold a book on proposal, and we got the half of the advance, and then we got the other half of the advance. So, I mean, that's the largest chunk of money as the writer right there um, yep. versus the agent who only gets like, you know, percentage of it. Yeah. So t tell us a little bit about like some of what that back end stuff that you just mentioned. What What is that? Oh, um, so like you read, you do queries, um, you're doing outreach to editors. There's a lot of Zoom meetings and then just face to face meetings and then conferences. You take pitches. Um, kind of matchmaking so like so I actually just tweeted this earlier today because I was putting together a list for a new client of mine where you read through like all your notes you have for the editors that you've met with and they've told you what they're looking for you look through publishers marketplace and you see like what deals they've already done so you're not trying to send them something that they already have but something that's similar you know that's voicey like what they like um so it's like matchmaking so that takes mm -hmm. some time um then there's like I'm kind of editorial on some pieces so that takes time because when you're when you're editorial for your clients you're giving them back developmental edits and then you're polishing it like you're basically doing all the edits like line copy everything to make sure that it's like as clean as possible so there's that part um then there's the contract side like when you get an offer so an offer comes in and then you have to let the other editors who know the project 
uh, well, so you submit to editors and then you get an offer and then you have to let all the other editors know and then they have to get back to you. So there's like the back end there, there's reading through the offer, which is the deal memo. And then you have to decide to that editor, can you give us this, 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 and this instead? And then they come back and say yes or no. And then you give it back and then they come back and then finally you say, okay. And then they go, it sends to the contracts department. Then the contracts department sends you the full contract. And then you have to read through everything, put in your agency clause. That, that's the, the back end. And in between that, you have I, all the clients and you have all the other queries and you have all the other right? editors coming in and you have all the other offers that you're trying to field. And I always felt that, I mean, I, I, I was always kind of attracted to the idea of, of becoming an agent. And in fact, I even had this long running gag with my with my agent where I was going to become an agent under a pseudonym. I was just going to be called Agent X and everybody mm -hmm. would wonder who's Agent X? How did he get this deal? Um, obviously that never happened. But one of the reasons it never happened is because I'm so terrible at math. And I just thought keeping track of all the money and and like, you know, the percentages and, and just the accounting part of it just filled me with dread. I, I mean, how, how do you deal with that? Um, I have spreadsheets right now, but also um, within our agency, we have people who handle like all of that part of it. I don't need to worry about it. Oh, here's a great question from from Jace. It says query tracker says that you are currently closed to queries. What makes agents close and what makes them open back up again? Uh, I think a lot of times agents will close when they get overwhelmed, when they have too many queries sitting there. Um, I close in the summer. I closed last summer. I closed this summer out of respect for everyone's time because I requested a bunch of folds. I know how long it's going to take me to get back to them. I don't want a backlog of queries sitting in my query manager. I'd like to get through them all. And like publishing kind of goes into like summer Fridays. So like half day Fridays or full day Fridays, um, some of the people in the publishing houses kind of take off, like they don't have to go to work. And so yeah. it's just a really good time for us to catch up on like our our readings. So in the spring, I had requested like a bunch of folds that I want to get through and it takes time to get through them. And then it takes time to decide if you're going to offer to write back and forth to answer any questions to call a Zoom. So it's not like I can just read something, offer on it, they're a new client, and then we're on submission right away. So summer's yeah. the time when when I catch up on all that. And so once I get to like, you know, just a few folds or I feel like I'm back on schedule, then I will open back up again. But also um, a lot of offers came in all at once. And then we also had this like a couple of little fires we had to put out with this other thing. And then we were chasing money from another house. So like when all of that piles up, we don't get to queries at all. And so there was like a good six weeks where I didn't even have time to look at queries. And so that kind of like preempted the I'm going to have to close again because all this other in-house stuff with our clients is happening. So so I can't. Um, make time and it's just out of respect for the time of the queriers too. I have a question if it's okay. My, my thesis three students are in the middle of polishing up the final drafts of their query letters to agents. What advice do you have for query letters? What do you love to see in a great query letter? Oh, so this is going to have to be an answer I've heard from other people, not necessarily a personal one because the way that I look at, um, and I keep saying I'm going to change it, but I can't. I pull up pages first. I don't ever look at the query letter first, which is, again, the, the thing is do as I say, don't do as I do. Because if the first 
page doesn't catch my attention for the voice, I, the query letter could be perfect and it's not. I mean, query letters, we all know it's such a different skill set to write a query letter than it is to write actual fiction. Like active voice, catch me right away. Oh my God, what's going to happen next? So I always read the pages and if I get through my first five pages, because that's what I um, request in Query Manager, I'm like, oh, I need to know more. Then I go back and I and I look at the actual query letter and the only things I'm really looking for is like genre and word count because I need to make sure that they're not giving me like a 120,000 word middle grade, lower middle grade. I need to make sure that, you know, the upmarket fiction piece isn't, you know, 40,000 words or that their sci-fi isn't, you know, 500,000 words. I just had like a 220,000 word sci-fi that I was like, I loved the voice. And I'm like, would you make this two books? Like, why does it have to be one book right now? And, you know, so, but I mean, yeah, genre, genre title, word count are the main things. Um, when I go to other workshops or I'm on panels, I always hear how agents like a little personal thing, like why me? And mm -hmm. I, I tend to like, because I was in the query trenches, I know like you, why you? It's because they're looking through and they're finding like, do you represent their genre? Maybe do you even have sales? Are you an author? You know, do you have one of their authors that they're in their critique partner, or you're a friend of, or something like this? Like that—that's why you. Like, there's going to be a reason. There, I mean, unless they've blind copied 80 agents and in, into that email that we all get, and we're like, oh, did you all see this? Like, anybody? You know, blind copied or copied 80 other agents. Um, and like, I mean, that's why Query Manager is such a great, a great place, is because it allows authors to search based on the genre, and then they can look you up after and see like if you're going to be a good match. So, thank you. Did that answer it? Like, yeah. Yeah. Let me ask, Melissa, how, how did you, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but how did you find your agent? I had one, I found one agent at the San Francisco Writers Conference maybe 15 years ago through a pretty atrocious practice called speed dating for agents, in which we all lined up behind agents and we had whoa, maybe two minutes to pitch them. And then Michael Larson would ring a little bell and, <laughs> and we'd have to move on. And I found my first agent that way with a children's picture book, which she couldn't sell. And in retrospect, it's because it was a total disaster and it rhymed poorly. So <laughs> I found my I found the agent that I have now, Jennifer Unser, through agentquery.com by being very specific with that search engine and looking for memoir and environmentalism. And I was fortunate that Jennifer represents both memoir and young adult and middle grade. So she she represents all my work right now. She, she checks all your boxes. That's she checks great. all my boxes and we're friends and she's hilarious and it's just such a good match, yeah. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Yeah, that is great. I remember those those agents. Be, I mean, I think they still do that sort of thing, don't they, at, at uh, conventions? Oh, uh, they do. <laughs> I, I think they're getting away from speed dating, but they're still putting a bunch of writers at a table with an agent. And the poor agent has like two minutes to listen to each pitch. It can be exhausting. I, what does that look like on your end, Marissa, when you go to conferences and take live pitches? So I didn't start signing clients until June of 2020. And okay. I have not been to a live one. I've done Zoom uh -huh. ones where there have been um, 
That's different. Uh, like, it's like five minutes in the room and then like the moderator kicks them out. So like sometimes they'll be kicked out like mid sentence. And I always feel so bad. So I was like, oh, like, I'm listening. <laughs> well, you were you were just on the receiving end at the at the at the pitch session that we had, uh, I guess, a month ago or so. And uh, obviously super appreciative of, of your being there and, and everything else that you did to ma help make that happen. Um, is is that kind of online pitching? Is that is that solely a result of of COVID, or is that something that that you think is going to persist beyond? Assuming the pandemic is ever over, is that mm -hmm. something that will persist beyond and be be like a regular part of the um, agent writer pipeline? I actually think it will be. A lot of um, the conferences that we're being invited to are offering that option. And I, I feel like they'll probably still offer it moving forward too, especially because we're in such like a global landscape right now. So, yeah. um, Marissa, when so I have facilitated a couple of times at the Willamette Writers Conference in Portland, pitched for the prize, and this was pre-pandemic, where writers would come and they would stand up in front of a ballroom full of people and they would deliver their pitch to a panel of agents. Um, the way that you might do if you're at a conference and sitting one-on-one -on -one across the table from an agent, what advice do you have for writers in that live pitch session? Because they tend to get a little anxious. <laughs> I know, I remember live pitching when I had my book. Um, I think the biggest, like the best advice is just to breathe. Like, again, I was like that, when I was that author, I was the one where the editor was like, so what's your book about? And I was like, I don't know. And, you know, my agent was <laughs> just can't. like, okay, just stop. Like, so I think it's just, you know, breathe and just remember going in that, like, if you're at that point where you actually have a completed book to pitch, like, that's way more than half of the people or a third or 90% of the people you're ever going to meet. So many people are like, I've always wanted to write a book. And I'm like, oh, awesome. You know, like, how can I help? And they're just like, oh, I don't have time or I don't have whatever. Or There's always reasons. So, if, I mean, just if if authors are at the point where they're live pitching, they should just congratulate themselves like a thousand times over because it's like, hey, I actually finished a book. I have something to pitch. Yeah. Um, and if you remind yourself of that and you remind and like at, by that point, you've probably read your book like 5000 times then just know it. Like I would say, try not to like memorize anything because whenever I tried to memorize stuff, it was awful. And whenever I just, you know, was trying to remember, it may not have been that perfect elevator pitch, but I got the main points across. Like I remembered my conflict. I remembered why my character was doing it. Um, and that, that's really all that matters <laughs> at that point, I, I think personally. I know, I tell people, it's just a conversation between you and another person. And I see these writers getting so rigid and mumbling their pitches to themselves before they go in the ballroom. And I just want to tell them to relax. Y'all are just people. Especially because writers, like, I mean, I think part of the draw being a writer is being able to be behind your monitor and like you're much better typing out your words than, you know, yeah. speaking them. Yes, absolutely. Although I, I kind of feel like um, our current current publishing environment or literary environment is 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 kind of self-selecting those writers who are perhaps more comfortable with um, expressing themselves like in front of a camera or to a large groups of people uh, than than was the case in the past. 
you know, like a different kind of writer is is emerging now, less less introverted maybe, or maybe more more uh, able to 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 do what's required in in today's kind of more fast moving media landscape. They know how to play that game better, it seems like certainly than I ever did when I was when I was just coming coming up as a writer. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Um, although I, I will say for anyone listening that I have signed clients who did not have any social media presence and we've sold to one of the main houses. So mm-hmm. that's not to say that their marketing team is not like, hey, we want you to do this, this and this now. But I mean, I do. It is, especially with all this stuff about like book talk and everything. Um, it's It's definitely something to consider. And, and a lot of agents that I know before they're going to sign somebody, they will go online and they'll see like, what's their presence? What are they, you know, posting about? Are they, you know? Yeah. I mean, if, if you see that a, that a, a potential client has a, has a ton of followers, you're going to be more interested in perhaps in that client, but I don't think you're going to base your decision solely on that. Are you? Uh, no. Again, I, I start with the pages first. So if those first five pages, you know, capture me, I think like if I go like I do think in my query manager, I ask for like a, I don't know, a website or Twitter or Instagram or some social media just to see because, I mean, it is nice to know that they know how or that they're savvy, like they know how to post or that they know like what's appropriate to um, put out to to stay like on brand. But again, like it's really hard because a lot of authors I work with, they're like, oh, I've written like four or five different books in different genres. And, you know, they don't have their their brand yet. So so they're just right. posting stuff that they like. And, you know, in that case, it's like, oh my gosh, she posted about dance and I love dance. You know, like, oh, we're gonna get along great. So again, it's like, you know, you may go on and just look at their, what their interests are. How, how, how important is branding for, for a writer? I mean, does a does a a writer who's who's thinking who has their first novel ready to submit, but is also thinking beyond that, do they do they need to be thinking like, well, I I I need to stick in this genre now forever. I need to I need to establish my brand, um, and I can't deviate from that until such time as I've you know become successful enough that I can either you know put something out in a different genre under my own name or or start publishing under a pseudonym. Um, so like Marissa, the instructor would say it's very important, (laughs) (laughs) but Marissa, the agent has, we, I just went through this with um, one of our clients, huge, huge three book deal decided that this, uh, this author decided that they wanted to write in a different genre completely without even finishing, like having book two come out. And we were just like, okay, look, we had a talk with the publisher and we had to look at like where else it could go because of like, you know, the, the whole way the contract is set up and everything. And I mean, it worked out. So I, I'm a person that has watched everything. And my big phrase now is why not? Like, if you can, if you can dream it, then why not? Like, why not you? Like, why not me? Like whoever thought I would be, you know, helping the authors I'm helping land book deals and whoever thought like my books would be out there. And, you know, you just, so, I mean, yeah. Most of the instructor is like, yes, it's very good to be on brand. So an agent can see exactly where your career is going to go and who you are. But I have witnessed a thousand times it be different. Okay, so like maybe eight. I witnessed probably like total eight personally, but I'm sure there's more out there. Um, yeah, that's that's 
That's great to hear. I mean, it, it reassures me at this stage of my career. <laughs> so I want to uh, just um, remind everyone that that uh, you know our chat is open. If you have any questions for Marissa or Melissa or me, uh, please don't be shy. Paul, we didn't hear your agent story. I know. Uh, well, uh, okay. My uh, my first agent uh, I got because um, I had sold a couple of short stories to a, a genre magazine called, uh, well, called Twilight Zone, um, mm -hmm. and then it's kind of sister magazine called Night Cry, um, and the same editor bought bought it for me, uh, bought for me for both of those magazines, and he, uh, he put me in touch with his agent, uh, who was uh, an agent named Ralph Ficananza. Um, who became a very high, high level, high power agent um, uh, in the sci-fi world. Um, and, uh, it, you know, he it was a traditional like back in those days, it was like in the early 80s. He took me out for lunch and he said, you know, I can't I can't publish. I don't think I can publish this book, the book that I had submitted to him. Uh, but he said, I really like your work and I know we can work together. And he sh stuck out his hand and I shook it and that was it. And that was our that was our deal. Um, and then after a certain point, um, when he became uh, extremely successful, uh, he um, had an agent, uh, a new agent that joined his 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 firm, uh, who was happened to be the editor that bought my first novel. Um, and that and he had um, he's my current agent now, Chris Schelling, um, and he had uh, decided that he was going to move from editing into agenting. Uh, and so Ralph said, well, well, would you mind if if I gave you, you know, over to Chris and let him be your agent? I was like, no, no way. I mean, he bought my book. He really gets me. We've been, you know, really good friends ever since. And I, I could not be happier. So I kind of remained. I've had two agents, but really only only one in a in a certain way um yeah nothing really nothing really too uh too crazy to report there so um so liliana asks what would make you not read a query letter like what what turns you off what what where, where do you get to a certain point and you're like nope oh um well, I, I do read every query letter i think what would make me not read it with as much attention would be if the first pages didn't capture my attention. Like if the writing was just not something that I connected with at all, or it didn't fall it's, in love with enough to move forward. It seems like voice is something that's extremely important to you, both in the manuscript and in the query letter. Uh, yes, voice is everything to me because as an agent, if I'm going to read that like manuscript three, four, maybe five times, sometimes, you know, and then it's going to go out to the editor and everything, I need to make sure that I love it because, and this is kind of heartbreaking as an agent, but when I send something out to an editor, I'm basically sending like a piece of like, this is so great. I think you're going to offer on it right away. So, I mean, that's like my name behind it. And and then I don't want mm -hmm. them to turn and be like, why did you think I was going to like this? This writing is awful. So, I mean, I think, and there was something that was just out. Um, we have something in our agency that we say, but I mean, I don't think, I don't know that we like share it, but I just saw something where 
um, somebody tweeted and it was awesome. It was kind of encapsulating that whole message. It's like, if you make me laugh or you make me cry, I'll sign you. If you do both, I'll sell you at auction. And that was like the perfect tweet. Like it just came out like the other day or something. I can't remember who tweeted it, but it was like one of these awesome agents from this agency. And it was like, that's exactly it. So it's voice. But um, Marissa, I'm curious. So what if the voice is great, but the first pages are full of punctuation errors, spelling errors, and passive instead of active voice? Well, Sometimes passive voice, this again is not Marissa teacher. Sometimes passive voice is part of the voice. It's yeah. not that character, it depends on the genre. Yeah. Uh, punctuation and everything, you can always take care of. I mean, like you're, I've watched my manuscript go through like three different backend editors, copy, line, proof, um, and I still find errors in it. So <laughs> it's like, I can read any published novel and still probably find something that doesn't go with that house's style guide and a yeah. lot of houses use like a mix of like their personal style guide plus you know Chicago or MLA or something so I mean I think the punctuation and stuff it, it's very important it does take a reader out of the moment but I mean I think for an agent looking for that great story it it's not a detractor I'm Unless you're in 702, or you're my 701 student right now. And you're, uh, right. You know, or anybody in my 505 class. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so Jace, Jace asks, when an agent decides they like my writing, what happens next? Um, well, for me, I send an email and I'm like, hey, your pages. Oh, I wish I, I should have pulled it up. I'm like, hey, your pages have really caught my attention. I'd love to further the conversation. If the full is still available and, you'd still, and you're still interested in working with me, please send me the full. And then after that, um, it gets scheduled and they get an email back either from one of my assistants or myself that says, thanks so much for the full. I'm so, you know, I'm trying to get it done within two months. You have been scheduled to be read on this date, like, um, like no, July. 26th or something and it gets into my calendar on that date and assuming nothing stops me from staying on schedule on that date I pull up that manuscript and I start reading it and then whenever I finish I whenever it gets like either like uh or I finish it that's when the decision gets made like if I got up and walked away and had to think about it a little bit and I'm like oh you know maybe okay I'll give it another shot I'll keep reading it or if I just read it straight through to the end but if somewhere after those five pages, it loses it, which often happens after like chapter three, more often than like I would have believed when I first started out. But I think it's because we spend so much time polishing the beginning, um, the fun and game section, the middle, everything that's supposed to like lead up to you rooting for them uh, can sometimes fall flat. And then it's like, oh, yeah, I just didn't fall in love with it as much as I would need to to move forward. Yeah. What about those those uh, manuscripts where you read it and you think, I can fix this? You know, this manuscript has, has so much promise, but it ha also has problems, but I know how to fix those problems. Where, when do you make the judgment that it's worth it to take on the manuscript that requires that kind of fixing? Um, so for me, it depends on what else is going on with my current clients, because I am very client focused, so like I, try to get back to them within like one to three days. Um, I'm very communicative. I like having them all around me. So when when I get to that point where I love a work, but I don't have time for it, then I pass out of respect for their time. I don't want them waiting like half a year for me okay. to get it. 
Um, but if for some reason everything's going smoothly, the whole world is in alignment and I happen to have time, then I'll be like, oh, I have time to do this. So I guess it really just depends on how much time I think it will take to fix it. Do, do you find along those lines that um, editors are are less able, and I don't mean like, you know, able in terms of ability, but but in terms of time to, to do that kind of editing uh, work that is now kind of fallen more on agents to do, or maybe freelance editors that a, that a writer will consult even before submitting to an agent? Oh, um, that may depend on the genre and the length of the book. Um, I've seen instances where editors take on something that's a mess, and I've seen instances when they're like, hey, if you clean this up, I would love to revisit it. Um, I do know that a lot of editors I've reached out to in the past two years they still give R&Rs. So, I mean, if they see a great idea that they want on their list, they will say like, look, this is what I need. Talk to your author. If they're interested, you know, come back to me. Right. Marissa, what do you do when an author comes to you devastated about a bad review once a book is published? Oh, so I don't have any. My first book that I've sold is coming out in November for my client. Oh, okay. But current clients, um, we just typically tell them like, look, you, you. It typically, it's not typical, but we tell them like, you know, when the onset that you're putting your words out there for strangers to read and judge you, it's no longer going to be a supportive, safe space. Like you don't know where your readers are coming from and everyone's going to read your work differently from you know you don't the reader doesn't read it as you wrote it they read it as they read it and so you just kind of be like oh just ignore it as best you can and you know that's why hopefully you have a good critique group that can support you um i've been on the phone with authors who were just devastated and never wanted to write another word again because of the one star and i was like you know what sleep on it and your next idea is going to come and you're going to forget all about it and you know you're going to get, hopefully, you're going to get more five stars than than one stars. Um, but if somebody does give you a one star, that means that they actually took the time to form an opinion and write something. Whereas if they just were like, meh, they, like, I've heard books where I'm like, meh, and I don't do anything with them. I don't talk about them one way or the other. So, I mean, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard, but it happens. And most of the time, time Time does heal most, most everything. <laughs> um, somebody, oh, somebody had a question, but I can't see it now. Uh, can you see it, Paul? Yeah, we asked a question about how important it is it for the writer to have a presence on social media. Oh, right. Um, that depends on the genre. I know like there are certain genres that it, it is important because like well this happened a manuscript when the editor was like i love it i'm taking it to acquisitions it goes to acquisitions the marketing team looks and says nope yeah or yep. um, i've had editors come back love it would love to take it on not a big enough platform so mm. that does happen uh, mostly like definitely a nonfiction, and i've seen it a little bit in ya but not so I've seen it happen in YA, but I've also seen it not happen in YA. <laughs> there, there's yeah, I, no <laughs> I, 
I, I think at some point we'll we'll have to do a wire side with from the from the editorial perspective, you know, because mm -hmm. I know when I became an editor at Time Warner, it was a mind blowing experience because I thought that I would have so much more power when it came to to deciding what got published. But in fact, I had very, very little power. And oh. that was one of the things that was discouraging about it. I was a very, you know, I was kind of a junior editor. I was I was running my own line, but it was but it was just a. I still had to go through marketing. You know, I had to get, I had to have my P, you know, my profit and loss statements had to, had to work out. Um, and somebody else in it who may, may not have understood the genre as well as I did was making decisions based on things that I didn't feel were relevant to the potential market for, you know, particular books. And I would have to come back to an author and say, I couldn't do it. I couldn't sell it. Um, so they, the editor also has to be a bit of an agent, don't they? Within the publishing firm, they have to sell the book that they have that they want to acquire to um, to marketing people. In many cases, yes, that is absolutely true. I've had conversations with editors where they're like, "Look, I'm going to take this to market. Can you give me a little more information?" And or you know, to their marketing team. And so I'm like, "Okay, well, what what should we? How can we clean this up? How can we polish up? You know." The, we start by shortening the synopsis because marketing wants to see like the, the main point. So it's not exactly the query, but it's not exactly the synopsis. And then, you know, we're trying to give like pitch points, selling points, relevancy of it, um, where it's going to sit in the shelving space, um, yeah. longevity, uh, like why it's going to like be lasting, you know, and so. And comp titles are super important at that point. Hmm. Um, Melissa, you, you've 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 begun some book talking, haven't you? Yeah, I kind of gave it up. Oh, you did? Why? Uh, time constraints over the summer. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, I might pick it up again. Uh, I can't do it all. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I just I can't do it all. Yeah. It seemed like it was fun though for a while. It seemed like you were enjoying yourself. Oh well, and it led to so it led to an appearance on CNN. So I mean, it was great. I just <laughs> I'm just too tired to do TikTok right now. But but um, yeah, if it if it works for people here, you should most definitely try it. Melissa, do you have an assistant, like an author's assistant, to help you? No, I've thought about hiring a virtual assistant, and I probably will. Um, but I'm kind of a control freak about my own career, and I'm just interested in learning how to do all the different marketing aspects as well as the writing aspects. But I think I think it's probably too much. That's the biggest thing is like writing. Like I write Sunday evenings, so I know every week like I'm gonna write. Sunday evenings and like when we did this book we knew we had 5,000 words every Sunday to get it done in a, within a certain time frame and so you know it was that was fine but when you throw social media into the mix it's like that takes away all my creativity right there so I have to have somebody design all my posts and do my captions and everything for me oh you do and that wow are my two best friends uh -huh. <laughs> But yeah, I can't. I, that's one thing is we. I tell all my authors, I'm like, only go to where you know that you're going to be able to be consistent. Yeah. So. Yeah. Good point. So what counts as consistency to you? Where you can just keep, you know, posting the things that you 
know that you like to post. But for um, like how many times a week or a day? Oh, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't have like a. Oh, good. <laughs> I don't have like a formula for that. That's refreshing. <laughs> some some you know, people do. You're going to show up and then I tell them to save their names on other platforms, you know, if they want to so that other people can't get their name. They don't have to post oh, there. That's but a really good idea. Yeah, so I grabbed melissahart.com 20 years ago, and then two years later, the Republican Congresswoman, Melissa Hart, um, asked if she could buy it, and I told her yes for half a million, and she declined. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> now people get us mixed up, though, so that's a yeah. problem. <laughs> so... Marissa, before we go, we're coming down to the end of our of our chat. Um, what's next for you? I mean, do you see yourself continuing in the in the as an agent? Do you do you, do you, do you think like you'll return to to writing to writing and publishing fiction? What what's next? Especially after your new, your next nonfiction book comes out, what's what comes next? Um, I think well, the nonfiction was kind of because of my husband. It's in his field, and we kind of you know, had been conceptualizing this together. I think I will always be writing something. Um, mostly I am loving agenting because I can put a call out. I have like a little Facebook group where I have like, I don't post on Facebook at all except for my little Facebook group, Marissa's Megastars. And I'm like, I really just wish I could find a book about blah, blah, blah. And then they'll write it for me. And it's like, or they'll oh, give wow. And I'm like, this is like my own personal like wish list right here with these clients. So, <laughs> or like I said the other day on Twitter, I was like, I just really want to get like this a YA contemporary. Like the the Sarah Desmond Netflix thing came out, and I just was really looking, and then like, bam, a bunch of them showed up in my query manager. And then you know, I wanted to do this like other one, and it's. I am definitely a bigger reader than writer. I will always go and buy books that I love and read them. But you know, the fact that I can cherry pick actual authors and a lot of them are debut although i do have some that come to me that already are published or from other agents because their yep. agents didn't work out or left or whatever so i mean definitely that definitely writing because i always love to just have something but yeah i mean like it's again it's the why not like where do i go from here wherever like and you know why not try this or that but definitely agenting i've been of the agency since 2009 so i will never leave that i love Wait. it Marissa, are you saying it's okay if an author has never published before? You're actually open to representing those authors? Oh, yes. So when, when I'm open to queries. <laughs> well, sure. I get so many authors at SNHU worried that an agent won't even look at their pages because they've never had anything published. Um, actually, I prefer debut, and one of the things, and Paul probably knows this from editing, but those PL statements he mentioned, like we look at sales. So, and this is Agent Marissa. This is not why not Marissa or you know Instructor Marissa. This is um, from an agency side. If you've self-published a book and you go on BookScan and you look at those numbers, and those numbers are not huge you will have a very hard time getting into because again the acquisitions process at the main houses they go through finance they go through other you know marketing they go through i mean like one they'll go acquisitions go all the way up to like your vp and your president of and your publisher of that line so if you don't have strong sales 
and you do have a book out, then that's not a good indicator for that publisher. So in that case, like a lot of the big deals that you see from newer agents, because I'm newer, so I'm still building my connection. So some of the good deals that like, that you'll see there listed are for debut authors because they don't have a track record. Yeah, all they can base it on at that point are, are comp titles, really. And that, that's to the benefit of the of the debut author. Um, all right, people, we are we are at our, our nine o'clock time, so means we another chat has come to an end. And I want to thank everyone so much. Uh, Marissa, it's just wonderful to speak with you. You've been laying some serious wisdom down on us and I I really appreciate it. I know our students do too. Um, for having me. Oh, for sure. And uh, Melissa, a pleasure as always. Thank you, Paul. I will see, that was I, great. We'll see you next month. And uh, to everyone else, uh, make sure to do your homework. And we'll, we will see you next time as well, I hope. All right. Bye, everybody.